0: Hey folks, Alex Lokes here, and welcome back to Classic Camera Revival. And if there's one thing that I've always mentioned about every camera that I've used, it's how it feels in the hand. And ergonomics are one of the most important parts that makes a camera a shelf queen or one that you always bring with you. So today we are going to be talking about the good ergonomic cameras that we always use and the bad ergonomic cameras we always use, because the image quality is just there.
1: Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto-Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. All right, so... In
0: true CCR tradition, we're going to start with the good. And because we are Nikon fanboys, we're going to start with a camera that has amazing ergonomics and was a major departure for Nikon. And that is, of course, the Nikon F4.
1: And the F4. Man, I have one. I have the early production F4, the the one without the lovely... F4S or the F4E uh, which had the extended battery pack, which means you got to pack in more batteries and you have the vertical shutter. But again, mine's the lighter of the bunch. Now, the F4 what's the story behind it? It, 1988 Canon was coming up with the EOS 1 and of course Nikon wanting to get on the autofocus bandwagon because again Minolta came out with the Maxim line and of course Canon came out with its Pro body so Nikon of course had to come up with its own answer to all that. They contacted their new best friend in terms of industrial design, one Guggerio Giorgetto. My apologies to the Italian speakers in our studio audience for butchering that name. Who is Guggerio Giorgetto? He was a gentleman that, of course, designed the Nikon F3 HP, a favorite of mine. He also designed cars at some point and including the volts of the original volkswagen golf slash rabbit the maserati Bora, Merak, uh the ghibli the original ghibli not the four-door sedan luxury sedan you see now but the original two-door touring coupe uh the uh, and i think the Merak as well the f4 is an interesting camera of sorts it i i consider it a bridge camera in some ways a lot of people look at it as an autofocus camera Sadly, though, the autofocus on it is like, how shall I say, genteel compared to what Canon had? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I almost, I, I am going to make the compelling argument that it's the last manual focus camera.
0: That is an opinion shared by a lot of people.
1: But it's a manual focus camera that has a built-in motor drive. In other words, you don't have to attach one underneath. It's built into the system. It's also the last camera. Nikon Pro body with individual knobs like speeds, uh, modes, and and it's like it was well thought out. Like Mr. Jiro Chow really went to town on this. Uh, it even has a built-in diopter, so for those of us with Gen X and older eyesight, you just have to play with it a little bit, and bingo, you've got a super sharp um, focusing screen. And you can use uh, pre-AI lenses, stop-down AI and AIS lenses for manual focus. You can use the first early generation autofocus if you want to use the autofocus. You can even use AFD lenses. Sadly, if you've got G-Glass or younger, um, you can use it in program mode, I guess, or shutter priority. Um, But you'll lose a lot of... You
0: want to use it in program mode.
1: Yeah, just using program mode. If you're really hell-bent on wanting to use the younger glass, then, well, I guess knock yourself out. Other big bonus with the camera, and, I, and this is why I love Nikon so much, it uses AA batteries. Here's looking at you, Canon, Minolta, Pentax, others. Going with those weird, weird proprietary, well, I wouldn't say proprietary, but sort of the more off the beaten path lithium batteries that uh, you're not going to find in any gas station anywhere. Whereas, say, I, 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 I sort of rediscovered my F4. I've replaced the prism head on it, and I took it with me on my annual photography retreat up north. Uh, first time in two years. Uh, this is a camera I can go to that shell station at the corner of Highway 35 and Highway 60, and I can get double-A batteries for it. I can't do that with a Minolta Maxim 9 without the battery pack or a Canon EOS one, and it's like the nearest camera store uh, in that section of uh, Lake of Bay's Township, Muskoka, that's the Henry's and Barry, which is about an hour and a half's drive south. You gotta bear that in mind. So with the F4, it is a great road trip camera. It is, you can use matrix, they've got three metering modes, spot, matrix, and center weighted. So if you wanna go center weighted, hey, You can go old school all day, every day. What I loved about the F4 is I can throw on my AI and AIS glass, put it on matrix metering, aperture priority, and just go to town.
0: Now, the one thing that you do have to note for the matrix metering, you do need the specific meter head.
1: Yeah, I had the DP20, which is the one. The DP20.
0: The other ones, unfortunately, only have center or center
1: weighted. Yeah, because you control that from the meter head. Mm. But again, it's so easily you, you can figure it out. You just look at it. You almost well. Again, you probably do want to look at the owner's manual because again, it is a sophisticated camera. But again, you could sort of set it up and at least use super basic modes without. That's the way Giorgetto set it up. But again, you know, and you want to look at the manual. And you, you probably get more out of the camera. I, I love the f four. Uh, the only downside is it does weigh like a boat anchor, but, um, but you get the idea.
0: Yeah,
1: I'd
2: have to jump in. Like I've, I've had two F4s. The first one was stolen, and the second one, the film transport has died. So maybe at some point I'll uh, I'll replace it. But uh, I have a very very simple review of how why I like the F4. It's a big camera that doesn't feel big, and it's nope. a heavy camera that doesn't feel heavy.
1: No, exactly is especially that last one because it, it does have heft to it it's built to last but again it doesn't feel heavy
2: yeah the F3 was the same way a tank of a camera especially with the motor drive but it was so beautifully balanced that you just yeah. you didn't notice it, that, that, it,
1: again, made it that, that comes down to good industrial design which any camera manufacturer, even today, regardless what format of camera, yeah, you got to think about that. Is the user experience going to be good? Because if you're a working pro, you don't want to be fighting it. No.
3: And that's Nikon's. Like, I mean, that Nikon has had that market area, that corner of the market, just like, you know, they've owned that because that industrial design, like, even starting back with the F2 and then moving on to the F3 and then into the, the digital camera bodies, the ergonomics of Nikon is just... Oh. I mean, a, a, and it, nothing and it, compares. Yeah,
0: and it still continues today. I've not met a Nikon camera from the F3 onwards that I haven't liked.
3: Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I mean, I will say the, 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 the F3... Um, uh, Grip is, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but uh, yeah. th- that's a bit of an anomaly. I don't know. There Maybe there was extra aluminum in the world that needed to be, uh, <laughs> or whatever it was that they used to make that gigantic grip. But um, as far as the body itself, though, um, mm-hmm. I think I, I, that's when they first, I forget the name of, there was an Italian designer that they started yeah. using,
1: right? Gregorio Giorgiato. Now, the story goes when Nikon, uh, they did a mock-up of the F3 in the mid-1970s. And
3: it looked like an F2.
1: Well, it looked like an F2 mated with an FM. Yes. like Again, they were working on the FM at the same time, and it was like, I guess the meter head was detachable.
0: And the early designs for the F4 were just as ugly.
1: Well, again, I think what they were thinking was, okay, we're working on the mechanics. Ergonomics, we're bringing, they decided to bring in somebody from the outside. It's the worst move ever. I think, yeah, again, and also... When you look at the F3 and F4, you see a design language that carries on now, even into the Z range of mirrorless ring, yep. uh, the mirrorless cameras. The red stripe. The, the red, red stripe. stripe, where everything is located, like the, the grip now on now the I'm right Now I'm thirsty side. for red stripe.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, only the best craft beer around this table. But uh, Bill, I don't know if you know uh, the, the red stripe it, was that was that a, um, a some sort of tribute to Ferrari?
1: Well, again, Giugiaro did not design for Ferrari. He designed uh, in the '60s and very early '70s. He designed for Maserati. So he designed the the Ghibli, which was then at that point, a two plus two Grand Tourer with a big ass V8 engine in the front, not the high end four door sedan that it is today. He also designed the mid engine Maserati Bora just in time for the fuel crisis. And then the uh, smaller engine version, the Merak, which had a technically a tiny, tiny back seat, which is great for groceries, but not for anything else. That's uh, it. Yeah. Or dwarves or small children. Uh, but again, we're making them. Yeah, uh, but oh, uh, there we go. But Giorgiato's biggest claim to fame is creating the first generation Volkswagen Golf. So and again, he stretched with his his design firm, Ital Design. He moved beyond automotive and into other products, including well, cameras. There we go.
0: And and going from big cameras to small cameras, uh, another favorite in the uh, in the team is the uh, Olympus OM series. And John with the uh, OM2. Thanks,
2: Alex. I'm a rather late convert to the OM system. And the reason I came to it has to do with my advancing age and my degenerative back. Um, I, except for things like Castleblad, and we'll get there. To me, the weight of a camera, especially last year, it's a bit better this year, thankfully, the weight of a camera matters to me. And like I, I used to have like a Pentax 6.7. Love the lenses, love the system. Didn't like what it did to my back after going out for a walk and the Olympus. So, I just love the fact that it is a so light that, that was like step number one make sure it's a light camera. But that's no longer the most important reason that I like it. I love the fact that the, uh, the lenses are tiny, small, and of course, the Zyco glass is uniformly excellent. I love the fact that the, the viewfinder is really, really good because with my crappy eyes, uh, a viewfinder is good. And it's just one of those cameras where, you know, manual, we don't need no stinking manual. I just started using it. And again, I, I, I think I used in the last episode, the expression I used when talking about uh, Maxim was it's a transparent camera. It does not get in the way. And, of course, like a, a non-ergonomic camera, and we'll get there, is the complete opposite, where it fights you every step of the way. Like it, it's almost, I'm struggling to come up with more to say about the OM2 because with, an OM2, with, with that camera, it ends up being about the image mm. and not the struggle to get there. And some people say, oh, struggle is part of the artistic process. Blankety-blankety-blank your- <laughs> that, you know. I'll be, I'll be 60 in a few weeks. I'm getting old, lazy, and cranky, and I don't like to be challenged. And the OM2 just cooperates. And the, my only regret is that I didn't jump onto the OM system earlier.
0: And the one thing that I really like about the OM2 is how it meters. It uses a pair of silicon blue cells, and it takes the meter reading off the shutter speed off the shutter curtain as the mirror flips up just as that shutter opens and it it's like a 2d barcode or cadpat even we are canadian so it's it's a prototypical cadpat that digital pattern it's like wow like matrix metering before matrix metering even and yeah because you, you're gonna get it's a reliable camera you know
2: it's you're gonna get good results and like I like the om one too I, like I, mm. I, I did a trade it's, it's sort of funny I'll jump a bit out of sequence we're talking about good economics bad ergonomics with a heavy heart I traded my Kodak medalist to uh, to Alex Smith bill's brother for the the om on OM one kit. And the Medalist, like I, we're not talking about it specifically today, it's a poster child for an amazing camera that's an ergonomic nightmare. And I love the results with the Medalist, but I've already put 10 times the number of uh, images through the, the OM-2 mm. that I did with the Medalist. That, and that that just basically sums it up. Like the OM-2, it's yeah. a user, and I use it all the time.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I can't speak enough about the OM-2 uh, the OM2 series. I have a pair of OM2Ns. I've had them for years. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mattini, who was the chief designer for Olympus when he came up with the OM series platform, uh, he sort of nailed it off out of the ballpark again for a way. Alex, alluded with the -the off-the-plane film metering uh, lens metering I've never had a bad exposure with that camera Uh, again also with John uh, they're light Um, you know cuz let's be real I hiked with my Nikon f4 and an FM 2n backup body through northern Muskoka for a couple days yeah the OM 2 ns they're nowhere near as heavy
2: I think one thing we forget is that, you know, because it's after the fact now, is just how revolutionary the OM concept was in terms of a compact, prosumer quality it, body.
0: It changed the world. I mean, you take a look at Nikon, who was using the uh, Nickermat platform for years. Love and it. then all of a sudden the OM, OM system hit the, hit the market and we got the FM, the FE, the FM2N, the FE2, the FM3A. It's all because
1: of the om system well it's not even just like nikon like pentax with the me me super yeah. mx lx like it's like literally it's like that shot across the back because back in the mid 70s like picking on pentax they were just riffing off a variation of the pentax spotmatic with the km kx mm-hmm. K two and of course the bargain everyone's favorite the bargain K one well supposed bargain K one thousand but not anymore um, but again you, you look at the K one thousand K two K KX, KM, and all that it's still the same size as a spotmatic but it has a new mount to it yep but again with the O M one i guess like everyone else they went to their drawing board going okay we've got to you know and yeah you know, they became stopgap cameras same thing with minolta they had the xc7 and that thing was a boat anchor the srt series which had been in their stable for about i don't know by then seven years and that was the shot across the bow for minolta and they said okay we came out with the xd series mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say that, like, I have the OM1N, uh, but actually, I have three camera, three OMs. Well, I share them with Jody. <laughs> share in quotations. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the things that I love about them is just they are so small. Like, you know, I do have small hands, and everything fits just perfectly right. Everything moves so smoothly. You know, I can't believe how easy it is to wind the film and then rewind the film after. Um, And one of my favorite lenses for that camera is the uh, 35 millimeter um, F2. Fantastic, fantastic lens.
0: And um, while moving up to uh, medium format, uh, another favorite, well, I know between Jess and I, is the uh, Mamiya M645. And so take it away.
4: Thanks, Alex. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's much of a surprise to anyone around this table that I'm a MiA fan girl. Uh, I love those cameras. I love that glass. Um, and the M645000S, it was I feel like it was literally made for my hands. Uh, everything just fits so perfectly well. Uh, you know, everything from the two shutters, like you can release the shutter either with your forefinger or with your thumb, yes. and especially the thumb. That is just, that was a game changer for me. Um, I only use the waist level finder, though. I don't actually use the metered prisms. I I, I guess with medium format, I'm just so used to going out and taking my own readings with, you know, external Mm -hmm. light meters that I'd rather leave the extra weight at home and just go out with the waist level. Um, And it's also a lot lighter than my favorite RB67. (laughs) So it's a little bit more portable. The lenses are smaller as well. The body and lens fits perfectly in my small bag. So I can just jaunt out into the woods or I can walk on some city streets. Mm -hmm. And it never gets in the way. Uh, That camera is a dream come true for me. So it's actually because of Alex that I bought it. And so I thank you very much for that recommendation.
0: So when I first got my Mamiya M645, it came with the uh, eye level finder. And I'd had a bad experience with medium format cameras and eye level finders in the form of a Bronica SQAI. And it just never worked. And I was looking online for these waist level finders and they were more, they were expensive. And I do thank John for supplying the waist level finder because it does, you put that 82.8 lens on it and it's a compact camera and you combine that with something like the Raveni lab spot meter and you have a precision exposure system with a precision camera and fantastic contrasty glass on it. But if you're the type of person who perf- who doesn't really like that waist level finder and you do go with that eye level finder, the one accessory that I got that changed the camera and what really made me fall in love with it was the L-grip because you can stick that on. And the one problem is it is on the left side.
4: Mamiya did that for some reason.
0: Yeah, it I always had to be
4: on the left side. I yeah. don't know why.
0: And and that will actually lead into another camera we have coming up. And yeah like so if you if you are a fan of that l and you you it just it doesn't feel right holding that up right the Mm -hmm. the thumb release is perfect with the waist level but it doesn't feel right that l grip will just change the world and i say that because the Hasselblad the 500 series is a fantastic camera produces optically near perfect results But what were you thinking? Well, I know exactly what they were thinking. The Luftwaffe. (laughs) The Hasselblad is based on a Luftwaffe aerial surveillance camera. These were designed to be mounted in planes. They weren't designed to be handheld. And everyone, almost everyone around the table has used Hasselblad before.
1: I've only half-joked that the Hasselblad 500 series camera was the uh, Saab 900 mm. of photo- for photographic tools. Now, for those who have never driven Saab, and I've had the pleasure of driving a Saab 900s in the late 1980s, early 90s, boring out friends' cars, the ignition key is on the transmission tunnel. Stop and think about that for a minute. Not on the steering column. On the right, like, Everything else. Or, okay, if it's a Porsche 911, it's to the left between the steering wheel and the driver's side door. No, the Saab 900, it's on the the transmission tunnel for no other reason than, well, it's Saab. Deal with it. And it's the same thing with the Saab 500 uh, series. And, again, uh, others will chime in, like John. Like for the
2: the Hasselblad 500, so, like, um... I love mine, in fact, we'll be talking about it at some point in, their, in the near future, but I can love it without being a fanboy. You know, I, I love the lenses, the 50 millimeter wide-angle lens, sort of my five, favorite lenses, Like I, I love all the lenses, but I would be the last person on the face of the planet to say, oh, it's so easy to use. You know, it takes a while to develop a relationship with it will never be as transparent as an om2 or like a maxim 9 or any of those cameras that just become an extension it's uh like i've just retired from the software world and there's a big piece of software world called sap and the joke about sap is you do not take that software and adapt it to your business you adapt your business to that software so, so the Hasselblad, you just have to get your head around the way that camera works, because it's not going to compromise. It doesn't give a rat's ass about you. You just have to understand it. But then once once you get there, then I think a lot of the uh, the ergonomic limitations or peculiarities they just sort of go away. And, and let's face it, like a lot of like that, the Hasselblad stuff. I'd say the majority of Hasselblad images, I, I have no information to back this up, so I could be talking out of my, my ass, but uh, the Hasselblad is a studio tripod camera. I'd bet money that a good a majority of Hasselblad pictures, when it was like a pro camera in the pre-digital age, were probably in that highly controlled studio tripod setting, but of course, what we're doing now, as you know, as, as hobbyists, even senior hobbyists, is like we're out on the road, so we're using it as a street camera. And I don't think it was ever meant to be a street camera. Like a, it's not a run and gunner. No. but you just have to. You have yep. to get used to it.
3: Yeah, and that's why um, you'll find the usability of a Mamiya medium format camera in comparison to Hasselblad. Much more refined in terms of design. Now, granted, you know, most Mamiya's are 645s, um, but the Mamiya built those for wedding photographers. Yep. Whereas Castleblad was adapted by wedding photographers or adopted by wedding photographers uh, because they wanted the big negative. They wanted great image quality and that sort of thing. So, you as a wedding photographer back in the day, if you could afford one, You used the Hasselblad and you lived with the less than stellar ergonomics for the sake of incredible image quality and dependability and consistency in your work. And I can say for me personally, and probably applies to most everyone in the film community, when you really lust after a piece of equipment, you overlook all the shitty things about it.
0: Yes.
2: Oh, yeah. Agreed. I I used to have a. Agreed. I, I did have the Mamiya 645 kit. First, it was like an M645J, uh, then a 1000, and then a Pro TL. And I sold it because I just wanted... Like, I, I liked it. I got uh, hundreds of good of uh, good images from it. But I wanted the Hasselblad, and I knew it was going to be weird and expensive. And it was mine was a bit of a money pit to get it up to the point where it's working properly. But uh, I wistfully miss... The six four five, but if I, I would still choose the Hasselblad today, just because of those lenses. Everything else is sort of, you know, the, that's the price of admission to get to use those lenses.
3: Yeah, hundred percent agree. I'm willing to admit I have a problem. I think we're all willing to admit we have problems. <laughs> so uh, now we're going to take a hard
0: left turn and. uh, we're not going to break any legs over this one, but uh, we definitely know that you might share the same first name as Jimmy Stewart,
3: oh, yeah, but the
0: last name is definitely different, yes. so it's appropriate that the camera you
3: have is a lefty. It is. It is the uh, Xacta VX2 or Varex, depending on uh, where the camera was actually sold. Um, they were all made um, in uh, Russian-occupied East Germany, Uh Nice. Between uh, 56 to 63, I believe. Um, you know, I I coined this camera as um, the camera that was made when Ned Flanders failed. <laughs> um, so our, our Simpsons aficionados out there, when, when Ned Flanders <laughs> lost his job as a farmer pharma- inf- or suspected to be in pharmaceutical sales, he opened up the Leftorium. And um, this would have been the camera of choice for the leftorium because all the bloody controls are on the wrong side if you're a right-handed person.
1: As someone who is left-handed, I'm looking at that going, that just does not make sense to me.
3: Yes, it, it falls in the WTF category. Um,
1: and again, by logic, this is a camera that's meant for me, but I look at it going... No.
3: You don't want this camera, Bill. No, I don't and, want and, that and, camera. And the, the, the controls being on the left hand side are the least of the ergonomic issues with this camera. <laughs> I, I'm I'm
2: also a lefty and yeah. of course, you know, lefties being incredibly versatile and intelligent and artistic. And, as, as and artistic as Bill would agree. Mm-hmm. We can make that kind of
3: adjustment. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't need a camera to fire off the left.
1: Oh. And of course, but we have of, limits, though you know.
3: And of course, all of that art, artistry and, and creativity and sheer brilliance is not outdone by your modesty. Um, so, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah. So this camera, uh, as as I mentioned, uh, the. Um, the shutter release is on the left hand side and in the front of the camera, next to the lens. Um, Which there's nothing wrong about. No, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's it actually works ergonomically. You just you just have to get used to it. You know, it it loads like a typical thirty five millimeter camera or one thirty five camera would load. You you um, load it by. Um, uh, putting your film cartridge on the right-hand side, which, um, you know, it's sort of 50-50 with camera bodies out there. Uh, in terms of the camera, um, you know, it's got um, uh, a time setting uh, for long exposures, and the fastest shutter speed is, uh, is 1 1,000th of a second. Um, it's got a decent working self-timer on it comes with some pretty good glass actually so the camera that i have the example i have has an actual real biotar on the front which is um a lovely piece of glass um not the imitation um, uh 44.2 helios glass uh that is Im- an Im- imitation biotar uh in any case like i said the stuff being on the left hand side is not the worst of the camera what really ticks me off about this camera is give me five minutes to uh, just use the um, uh, the winding uh, lever here. That, I
1: just... Did you that's see That's almost 180 degrees. Pretty much? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> We're just going to say no. <laughs> yes, the winder is on the left side. And yes, I've used a Rolly 35. And I do love my little Rolly 35s. So yeah, I got to send them off to BCLA'd. And that's on the left side. But still, 180 degrees, like even with the shutter release on the front of the camera. I've borrowed my brother's Topcons. They have the shutters release yep. on the front of the camera. Yeah. I can work around that.
3: I, That's yeah. okay. And it's it's really strange. Pentacon I, did it yeah. all the time.
1: Yeah. but All, still, the, that all 180 the practical film models have Advance. that
3: right on the side. It's great.
1: But still, the 180 film advance it's like
3: a- I really don't know what gear ratio they're using in there to wind the film, but um uh-huh. it is really, really low, I'm guessing, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, you know what it's got good quality glass on it if you're looking for something a little bit esoteric kind of out there, a little bit different than what anybody else has, mm. sure, go for it um
0: plus there's, there's different, uh, prism finders. For yes.
3: It. Yes. It does come with a waist level finder as well as an eye level finder. Um, I have a waist level finder for it. It actually works quite well. Mm. Um, the ground glass that it comes with, um, is, is pretty clear. Uh, you know, and I guess, you know, waist level finders for me in my old age, like, you know, in, in 135 are a little bit small for my liking. Um, One of the other cool things about this camera is uh, you can actually, it has a a built-in film cutter um, inside, so you can actually, uh, there's a lever, you unscrew a little knob on the bottom of the camera, and let's say you've taken a few um, shots uh, and you want to change mid-roll, you can actually slice the film, open it up in a dark bag, take your old film out, or your exposed film out rather, and then, you know... Whew. load in another roll of film. Why anybody would want to do this? Uh, I don't Especially know. with 35. Yeah, and then of course the other quirk about loading this uh, camera, the, the take-up spool is, is removable, so be careful, you might lose that, but you also have to trim the leader uh, to load the film. Right. It's so, just like a
1: Barnack Leica, but backwards. <laughs> <laughs> a backwards Barnack,
3: yes. Um, uh, with uh, inferior image quality, of course, but uh, well, similar image quality, well, I would say.
1: It's yeah.
0: still Zeiss, Lenses still, still Zeiss it. glass. It yes. might be from the other side of the Iron Curtain, but
3: uh, and the other side of ergonomics.
0: Yeah, yeah. One thing I'll uh, I'll jump in and say,
2: in my opinion, it's a subjective. It's a beautiful looking camera. It is a it, pretty it has, piece of. It has that yeah. essence of gadget. It's shiny, yes. and
0: yeah. you have to admit, Exacta and the folks behind it have been on the leading edge of oh, yeah. photographic technology. Yep. Yep. Some of the stuff they developed helped build the Nikon F. Yep. So, yep.
3: I mean, if, even if you look at the, the body design, I mean, it, it's akin to what would be a very, very early rendition of an R8. Yep. A Leica R8. And
0: means. the fact it came from the other side of the uh, the iron curtain, it's no surprise that everything's on the left.
3: Oh. Or shouldn't it be on the right?
0: No.
2: We'll just say the upside down. <laughs> no, and, 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 and is the shutter a
3: cloth, or is it also an iron curtain? Oh. oh. Uh, it, it is cloth, but that was pretty good, John. That was I, I got to give you that one. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Let us recover from that one for a minute.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Here, you got to hear this. And the shutter is now cocked.
2: That's like the opening to Inner Sanctum.
3: Yeah. When the door creaks open.
2: Yep.
4: Oh, man. So, are nice. you saying that I shouldn't be buying one?
3: <laughs> Give it a try, Jess. Here you go. Oh, boy.
4: Oh, boy.
2: <laughs> I think it's a camera that everyone needs to try at least once because it's an interesting experience. It'll be unlike anything else you've done. Mm and we might be you know maybe perhaps poking gentle fun at them but the price of innovation and being willing to try new things means that not every new thing you try is going to be good
0: yeah exactly and innovation can come from everywhere as i said yeah. there's technology that that exacta made that goes in to the goes into the Nikon F. I respect the designers of this camera
2: more than the designers of, let's say, you know, anyone who's trying to make the, a copycat of someone else. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, does the world need another Spotmatic clone?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we it
0: needs a modern yeah. Spotmatic. I mean, yeah, true, yeah, true. Yeah, definitely <laughs> a modern enough. Spotmatic
1: yeah. clone. But getting back to sort of ergonomics to some extent, um, a friend of the podcast and a member of the Toronto Film Shooters Facebook community. Carmona loaned me his EOS Canon EOS 1N to try and you know I had a pair of Nikon F90 axes at one point yeah and it was sort of like okay try something really nice Uh, so it was sort of like okay here you go Pop the had a 50 millimeter lens on it it was a fun camera to shoot but I found I was struggling with the readout Mm-hmm. I couldn't like. It's like a. It was very dim, and it was like okay. Um, in the end, I wound up getting a Nikon F100. The readout on it was like perfect.
3: Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, it. You know, it's like we've talked about um, throughout most of our podcasts. M- most of the cameras out there are just refinements of yeah. original ideas from decades oh, gone by, and you know this camera. I would say, ranks in the original idea category. Yep. You know, whereas you look at the progression of OM series cameras and the FM series cameras and, like, the K series cameras, they are all slight improvements mm. on each other. Well, already yep. existing. Even,
1: even in the 1950s with the Xacta, and it was built from the mid-60s to the early 60s, Asai Optical came out with the model, uh, the the original Pentax, the model K, and you, but by the time you saw the model K came around, they only made it for like eight nine months. It was basically, yeah, this is what the spotmatic was going to look like. Then you look at the Minolta; they came out with the SR series at the same time, and again, it's sort of like, yeah, we got beyond these sort of weird hundred and eighty degree. Film advance on the left side, and it's like the le- design language was starting to be standardized. And then by then, 1959, Nikon came along with their F and basically buried Leica and Rolleiflex. Absolutely, uh, and and it, it's not like they invented the wheel; they just refined the heck out of it and made it a modular system. And that's how they—that's why they won the pro system uh, market for mm-hmm. God over a decade. Yeah, before the Canon came along with the F one.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Well that about wraps it up for this episode. My name's Alex Lokes. Get out there, find a camera you like, damn the torpedoes, go straight at them.
1: This is Bill Smith. Again, it's gotta feel right in your hands. Cause if a camera does not feel right in your hands, you're gonna be fighting it every step of the way.
3: Mm. This is James Lee. Try an Exacta. Use your left hand. Feels like someone else is shooting it. <laughs>
4: This is Jess Hobbs, and I have no idea how I'm going to top James's <laughs> <laughs> exit. i no one never does. So, no one I'm just, does. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, just pick up any camera you like. Pick up any film you like, or digital. Who cares? Go out there, shoot, and have lots of fun.
2: This is John Meadows. It's worth the hassle if the images aren't bad.